there are times when you come to a text of scripture and you think, I'm going to be preaching to preachers. That limits the audience greatly. <laughs> preaching to preachers. Title of the message today, The Integrity of the Pastoral Office. So, brother, I've been thinking about you as we prepare this because, you know, this definitely applies to, to we who are pastors. And then the Lord has blessed us with our brother being here, another pastor. So the rest of you have the morning off, right? I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's the way it works. I think you have to pay attention so that you can keep us in line. And you have to pay attention so that you can know what to expect and what, what you should receive from the pastoral ministry in a church. These are important things. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 today. Acts chapter 20, verses 13. I'll tell you what, I don't want to read from 13. Uh, I'm going to read from 16. And um, forgive me, I forgot to uh, turn this microphone on so that uh, we have what we need to have there. We're going to read from uh, verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Uh, reading those other few verses would get in our minds the idea that Paul is traveling, but you can remember that Paul is traveling. So we begin reading in verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life as any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the words which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. God of Holy Scripture, we come now asking your blessing on your word. God bless your word to the hearts of your people. Cause it to find its fullness, the fullness for which you have sent it. Protect us from error, root out error that we may already be holding and believing. Protect us from the idolatrous inventions of our own hearts and minds. Let us today, by your grace, hear the voice of our Lord Jesus as your spirit ministers the word and applies your mercy to us. Edify us to your glory, we pray. Amen. In our systematic study through the book of Acts, we've recently found Paul in Ephesus ministering, pouring himself out to the Ephesian church for a long period of time. What, what may not seem like a long period of time to us in these days, but for Paul's ministry, a very long period of time. He was there at least two and a half years, and perhaps as many as four years ministering to these dear saints. And these saints were dear to Paul. But even though they were dear to him, he did not stop and visit on his way to Jerusalem. He decided not to stop there. If he, if he stopped, his schedule would be off. He knew that that would certainly prove to be too lengthy. So he sails past Ephesus. But being, a keenly, but being keenly aware that he would not see them again, he did not leave them with nothing, but rather he, he, comes, uh, he calls the elders to come to him. So he decides to meet with the elders of their church. And today we, we see this word elder. Uh, you're going to hear me use the word pastor and pastoral. And we're also going to talk about sheep and shepherds. And I'm going to use these words as I believe they are interchangeably. Elder, pastor, shepherd. We're not going to use it today, but when you see the word bishop in scripture. These words all meaning the same office. So Paul calls the elders, the pastors from the church at Ephesus 
Come and meet with me in Miletus. And in verse 18, Paul begins with these words to the Ephesian elders. And some have said that as we read this, this sounds less like the writing of Dr. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts. And it sounds more like a Pauline letter. It sounds more like Paul's writing. And the reason for that is because this section, it is Paul pouring out his heart to those pastors who would then in turn go and pour themselves out for the church at Ephesus. I wanted to start the sermon this morning with a phrase like this. It goes without saying. I like that phrase. Don't you like it? But it doesn't, it doesn't go without saying, does it? <laughs> you kind of have to say it goes without saying. I, I find it interesting this is never a complete sentence. It goes without saying. That, that's never a complete sentence. A statement like this, when, when the speaker makes a statement, it goes without saying, then they feel obligated to go ahead and say what they said goes without saying. And really that's the purpose of a saying like it goes without saying. It's not a saying that's intended to keep us from speaking something aloud. Uh, rather, it can be used, it goes without saying, can be used as an opportunity to comment on something that is obvious to everyone. Or it can be used to emphasize the importance of something that everyone knows or the integrity of something that everyone knows. So that kind of came out of the blue. Let's connect this back to our text Paul doesn't say here in verse 18, it goes without saying, but he says something sort of similar. He says, you yourselves know. Well, why are we going to rehearse the things that you already know? Paul, couldn't you have saved us the trip? If you're going to come and say, you yourselves know, we already knew. But the reason here, Paul is going to state some facts that they already know, but he's doing it so that he might have the opportunity to comment on the matter. And even more importantly, to emphasize the integrity of the pastoral office, to emphasize the integrity of the pastoral office. In the beginning of this section, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders about his ministry among them, his apostolic ministry among them. Now Paul's apostolic ministry is not the same as pastoral ministry. Apostles filled a special office that was appointed by Christ and used greatly by Christ to bless his church, but that office was a temporary office. It was not passed down to another generation of apostles. Unless you think, oh, those men really failed by not passing down their office to a successor. It was never intended to be passed down. The, the office of apostle was just for those men called by Christ to be apostles. Uh, so there's only one group of apostles. And Paul is not here uh, initiating another group. But what he is saying is there are enough similarities and overlaps 
between apostolic ministry and pastoral ministry that Paul is going to use the one to inform and teach the other. He's going to use apostolic ministry that he has had among them to inform and teach these elders, these pastors, about their pastoral ministry. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the written word that we have before us, it's not only for their benefit, but it's for our benefit as well, that we can come and see what pastoral ministry should look like in the New Testament age, in the age of the church, in these last days until Christ returns. So I mentioned I've titled the message, The Integrity of the Pastoral Office, because here Paul is delineating the integrity of the office in order to emphasize and reinforce the weight, the gravity of pastoral ministry to these Ephesian elders. And this is needed just as much in our day as it was then, lest we fall into common errors that are all around us. We need to look to Scripture to see the way in which Paul conducted ministry. And we find here Paul giving us a manner of ministry. A manner of ministry. In verse 18, if you'll see here, it says, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you. This is how Paul served the Lord. The whole time he was with them, this is how it went. And and I've highlighted for us this morning nine headings under the manner in which pastoral ministry should be done. The manner in which pastoral ministry should be conducted. I have nine, but I will confess to you, even as I read this text uh, at the beginning of the message, there's so much more here that could be said. This will be anything but exhaustive. Uh, And I hope it's not exhausting. Uh, These nine headings that we have under the manner in which pastoral ministry should be done are not necessarily in the order of the text because you'll see in this text, Paul repeats some of these things throughout. So they're not necessarily in order that we're going to fall through, but you'll see each one clearly laid out in these verses. The first three ways in which biblical pastoral ministry is to be done is found in verse 19. So let's read verse 19 again and we'll see these manners for ministry. Paul says, I was with you the whole time, and that's the pickup, 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. So in the first place, pastoral ministry is to be done with Humility. I'm going to let that sink in a moment because it might come as a shock to us. If we look around, if we look around at men who call themselves pastors, at men who fill and hold pastoral office, you might begin to think that arrogance is a top qualification for a pastor. You you might think that's the deal because we see so many men who hold pastoral office seeking to build a kingdom for themselves, a kingdom of their own, creating an empire where they can receive the benefits of their work, where they can receive glory for themselves. We see this so many times around us and We have to admit there is a great temptation in the office of pastor. This is, now it's my opinion, but I think it's an accurate opinion. 
The, the job of a pastor, the job of a gospel preacher is the most important job there is. The truth that the pastor preaches is the greatest truth there is. So there is certainly a temptation for a pastor to be puffed up in that. I heard a great story of a preacher who, had, who was stopped by a man after this preacher had just finished a sermon. And he said, preacher, you were wonderful. You were eloquent. You were articulate. You were clear yet concise. You were great. And the preacher said, I know the devil just told me that as I finished the sermon. So, so we know there is a tendency for pastors to be puffed up. But biblical pastoral ministry must be marked by humility. Paul ministered in humility. And if anyone had the right, if anyone had, had reason to brag and to boast and to be puffed up, it was Paul. It's certainly not me or you. It's certainly not any of us. Some preachers are known to think highly of themselves. Others are known to think more lowly of themselves. We need pastors who think of themselves not at all. We need pastors who are humble. Because as we are humbled, Christ is exalted. And when we are exalted, look out. Humility must be the manner of pastoral ministry. Secondly, pastoral ministry should be done with emotion. Paul says here he ministered with tears. With tears. And this is not speaking of, of some put on emotions which are intended to feign sincerity. Fake tears, fake concern, fake care. This is meant to, to mark real emotion. Genuine care. Genuine concern for the congregation, for the flock that God has placed under a man's ministry. Paul's heart for the people where he ministered was evident. Now, it was evident in Ephesus and he was there for so long. But his heart for the people where he ministered everywhere was evident. Paul was 100% plugged in. He was all there. He was never distant and aloof. We remember just things recently where Paul wanted to go in and rescue those two guys who had been taken by the crowd. Uh, that's not a man who is, who is distant and aloof. That's a man who is connected and he is, he is really um, emotionally involved and emotionally connected with those people. Some pastors, perhaps in seeking to protect themselves and to protect their families from hurt, remain distant and aloof. You all may be able to think of examples of pastors who are not approachable. Maybe even they come off as pretentious or snobbish. I will never forget the advice that I received when my wife and I attended the church planting uh, workshop many years ago. They compared the church and pastoral ministry to a Lego set. Y'all know how Legos work, right? They snap together, they snap apart. We all know how that is. Fathers, you step on them in the middle of the night and you're mad about that. But 
they compared pastoral ministry and the church to Legos. And they said that this was the advice. We need to be able to unsnap from the church to disconnect from people and to move on down the road. Maybe they thought they were protecting pastors from getting too close, from getting hurt. But ultimately they were advising for an emotionless ministry. They were advising for a ministry that is different from this biblical model of the manner of ministry that Paul had. And I thank God that we never believed that kind of ministry, a disconnected ministry. Paul ministered with tears. And the heart and soul that brought those tears. I don't think these tears are always tears of sadness. There are certainly Plentiful opportunities for a pastor to minister in tears of joy. What wonderful tears those are. But whether the tears are tears of sadness or tears of joy, we must minister with humility and minister with emotion. Next pastoral ministry is to be done with tenacity. With tenacity. Paul speaks here about trials which came upon him through the plots of Jews, the, through the plots of the Jews. And, and most pastors today don't have to deal with the plots of the Jews. I haven't heard any, any plots of Jews that we have to look out for. But he was dealing with those particular trials. And we have trials today. We all have trials. And pastors are no exception. We have our fair share and maybe sometimes more than that. There are trials. There are trials in the church. There are trials in the family. There are trials in everyday stuff like every other person deals with. But Satan makes certain that a pastor gets his share of trials. Trials come and pastor, sometimes you want to quit. I say that because uh, it's, it's autobiographical. Sometimes you want to quit. I heard once that every pastor quits on Monday morning. Every pastor resigns and quits on Monday morning. I, I think, what was it, brother? Like it was a week and a half ago. It was right before I got sick that I called you and said, I quit. <laughs> every pastor, these trials come, these things come in, and you want to quit. You say, I don't remember this in the brochure. This is not what was advertised. Come work for Jesus where all the love and, and care is. I don't remember this in the brochure. But pastoral ministry has trials that accompany it. So pastoral ministry must be done with tenacity. A never quit, never stop, never give up attitude. We also pick up on this note of tenacity. If you'll look in verse 20. Paul mentions there that he, he ministered publicly and from house to house. And you may be thinking, wow, where's the, where's the tenacity in that? Well, remember, public ministry for Paul would have been those times when he was able to preach, to declare truth, and to teach in the synagogue publicly. But those public meetings in the synagogue came to an end. There were times when the ministry of the word was not welcome in the synagogue. When they would say, Paul, you and your gospel, you and Jesus Christ are not welcome here. So when he was unable to minister in that way publicly, did Paul quit? 
Well, we tried. We did the best we could. Let's pack it up and go back. No. He simply changed to a different venue and sometimes to a much smaller venue. We remember that he rented a, a school facility to preach at. But we also read here that he went house to house. Now we would call this house churches where the resources were not available and the church was small enough to meet in someone's home. But you don't quit. The minister must be tenacious. Tenacity led Paul to minister publicly and house to house. Pastoral ministry must be with humility. It must be with emotion and it must be with tenacity. As we work through these nine, I'm not going to be able to repeat them back every time. In the fourth place, pastoral ministry should be done in fullness. Pastoral ministry should be done in fullness. Look at verse 20 again. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Pastoral ministry doesn't pick a favorite subject, a pet topic, and only focus on that. I mentioned earlier when we sang A Debtor to Mercy Alone. That's one of my favorite hymns. If I had my way, we would sing three hymns every Sunday. Every Sunday would be the same three hymns. And that would be one of them. That would be my pet but we don't, we don't need to do that, right? We don't just need to proclaim with our singing just those truths. We need to proclaim all truth. The pastor can't come in the ministry of the Word and say, boy, I like John 3.16. I'm just going to preach John 3.16. I'm never going to... I've heard others say, wow, I grew up hearing, never get out of the book of Acts. And some of you are thinking, I thought that's what you were doing, preacher. We're never going to get out of the book of Acts. <laughs> we will get out of the book of Acts. We will get to the whole, the whole council. And that's how preaching ministry. Paul preached here anything that was profitable. The idea is that pastoral ministry should include the whole of God's word. Old Testament, yes. New Testament, yes. The long books, yes. The short books, Yes, without question, pastoral ministry is to preach the gospel. But what about the law? Yes, heaven and hell, sin and righteousness, history and prophecy. We are to preach all of it. Pastoral ministry should be that we proclaim all those profitable things. The whole counsel of God's word. Pastoral ministry cannot be partial. It cannot be favored. We see this also in verse 27. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I wasn't holding things back. I wasn't skipping over stuff. The whole purpose. A pastor may be tempted to travel the well-worn roads. To drive only in the lanes with which he is familiar and certainly no man can know all that is contained in the Bible. But pastors must work to preach the whole counsel of God. The complete revelation of the Bible. Fifthly, pastoral ministry should fulfill the obligations of the office. Now, I'm not talking about the obligations that 
men put on the office, but the obligations that God himself puts on the office. Look in verse 26. Paul says that because of his manner of ministry, he is innocent of the blood of all men. Innocent of the blood of all men. Now this is Old Testament language. We find it, if you'll remember, in Ezekiel. Where the blood of a man is on your hands if you have not warned him of sin and coming judgment and told him how to escape. If you have not declared the full truth to him, his blood is on your hands. But if you have preached fully to that man, you are innocent of this man's blood. Innocence or guilt. Inherent in this statement when Paul says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Inherent in that is the idea that there's an obligation on the part of the preacher to preach clearly and effectively. There is an obligation on the part of the preacher to preach clearly and effectively. Pastoral ministry obligates the pastor in such a way that he is either innocent of the blood of every man or his hands are covered with blood. Biblical pastoral ministry must fulfill the obligation of the office. Next, biblical pastoral ministry protects the sheep. Protects the sheep. Here we find this biblical language of sheep and shepherds used. <coughs> the idea is that of care and protection. The sheep must be fed a nutritious diet and they must be protected from predators. Both of those things are done in preaching. Feeding the sheep a nutritious diet of truth from God's word. And protection from predators by stealing them against error. By warning them. Look at verse 28 also. Be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. Pastors here are compared to shepherds. In verse 29, he speaks about those dangers that are to come. Those savage wolves. Those men that will rise up from among you. Not necessarily outsiders that come in, but they'll rise up from among you. And we hear of this, not only here, but we hear of this also in Paul's letters, Paul's pastoral letters as well. A good pastor must protect the sheep from predators. Be alert. Be on guard. And while we're looking at verse 28, let's make one more observation here. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Now there's another text, in, another verse in here where he says the same kind of thing. It's not on my list of nine, so don't, this don't count against me. But it is related to, to pastoral ministry. Paul says of these elders, the Holy Spirit made you overseers. The Holy Spirit made you overseers. Pastors are not men who decide it's a pretty good job and I'd like to give it a shot. That's not how that works. Growing up, uh, our pastor used to talk about those who were mama called and daddy sent. 
And they aren't true pastors. They're not true shepherds. They're going to quit. They're going to put their hand to the plow and then look back. A pastor is one who is made a pastor by the Holy Spirit. And much more can be said about that, but it's not part of 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 our purview today. In the seventh place, pastoral ministry is to be done with vigilance. With vigilance. Because of the dangers. Because of these ravenous wolves. Because of the predators that will come. Paul instructs the elders from Ephesus in verse 31. Therefore, be on the alert. A pastor cannot just keep his head down and his eyes closed. A pastor can't stay in his study and not come out. He is to watch what's going on. As a matter of fact, every Christian needs to keep a watch out. Every Christian must be on the alert. We are told elsewhere in Scripture that we are to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly is a word we don't use a lot. It means looking around. It would help us to walk circumspectly in the world. Looking around. So in pastoral ministry, pastors, we must be on the alert Not focused on the world. Not focused on the enemy. We keep our focus on Christ and His Word. But we are alert enough to know what's going on. What's coming against Christ. Against His church. And against His sheep. And the instruction is to be on the alert. It says here, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you. Again, we see with tears, we see this emotion again. But be on the alert, remembering the consistency of Paul's preaching ministry. It shows what a pastor must do to combat the enemy. What must a pastor do to combat the enemy? There are so many ways to get distracted and to get pulled off. For a pastor to become political. For a pastor to become a a single issue guy. But a pastor must watch for the attacks of the enemy. And then to combat those attacks, don't stop preaching. Preach. Pastoral ministry must be done With vigilance. Eighthly. Pastoral ministry must be done. In dependency on God. And his word. In dependency on God and his word. Verse 32 we read. And now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace. Which is able to build you up. And give you the inheritance. Among all those who are sanctified. Paul did not claim ownership of these sheep. He certainly had a a heart connection. He certainly had relationships. He refers to them as sons and daughters in the faith. Uh, But ultimately he knows these are God's people. Sometimes that's hard to remember. We have to be reminded these are God's people. They're not my people. They're not your people. These are God's people. And he says here, I commend you to God. It's as though he's saying, I commend you to God because I can't help you. You need God. And church, don't look to a pastor to be your help, to be your savior. Hopefully that 
hopefully your pastors can be a help to you. But you must look to God. I'm just a man. Pastor Brent's just a man. Paul says here, I commend you to God because you need God. And I commend you to His word, the word of His grace. <clears throat> this is not to say that the Bible is God. But it is to say that the Bible is the instrument or the Bible is the means that God has given for the nurturing and protecting of His sheep. Paul knows that the only good that comes from his ministry is when people know God through God's Word. And this must be the manner of ministry for us today. Ministering with a dependency on God and His Word. And that must be unmistakable. A pastor must ultimately, but also regularly, commend the sheep to God and to the Word of His grace. And finally... Biblical pastoral ministry must be Christocentric and gospel focused. We're going to use that word Christocentric. We kind of skipped over this in the first part, but really this is the all-encompassing thing. Pastoral ministry can be many of these other things. You can minister in humility, in emotion, in vigilance, you can minister with protection for the sheep, with, with tenacity, but all of those things are for naught if pastoral ministry is not Christocentric. What we mean by that is Christ-centered. If pastoral ministry is not Christ-centered, and, and we're also saying Christocentric and gospel-focused because the gospel is that singular goal. When we preach the whole Word of God, we said in point four, declaring all things that are profitable, preaching the whole of God's wisdom. We preach all of it, but the Gospel is central to all. All those things that are preached as we preach the whole counsel of God have Christ in view, and the gospel as the nucleus of everything that we do and say. Let's see it in the text, verses 20 to 21. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. What was he testifying? Of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's preaching. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 25 we see that he says he went about preaching the kingdom. That is the kingdom of Christ. He's preaching Christ. He's preaching repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul did. This is what his ministry was all about. Paul was not trying to clean up the neighborhood. Paul was not trying to cut crime rates. He wasn't trying to do these things by, by preaching for something or against something. I put this in my notes. Paul didn't preach against. Paul preached Christ crucified. 
He's not the preacher against the thing. He's the preacher for Christ and Him crucified. Now someone is thinking, but wait, didn't, didn't Paul preach against some stuff? Didn't he, didn't he speak against sin? Didn't he speak against false religion? Against idolatry? He, he preached against some things. Paul preached Christ crucified. And in doing that, he preached against anything that opposed Christ. But he wasn't a social change preacher. He was a gospel preacher. He was a Christ preacher. Here he says specifically in verse 21, he preached repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical pastoral ministry cannot preach repentance toward God or faith in Jesus. I want to say it again because some of you are like, what? Biblical pastoral preaching cannot preach repentance toward God or faith in Jesus. Repentance without faith is nothing more than self-improvement. And your best is filthy rags. And faith without repentance, first of all, it's not even real faith. It's not a faith that saves. So it's nothing more than sentimentality. Pastoral ministry is an and endeavor. We can't preach repentance or faith. We must preach repentance and faith. Biblical repentance and biblical faith always come together. They always accompany one another. It's important for us to know that it does not say here faith or repentance as though one is optional. It doesn't say faith then repentance as though one can be added later. It doesn't say repentance after faith as though there is an order to the presence of these two. It is repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are, I'll say the cliche, two sides of the same coin. They go together. Biblical pastoral ministry must be gospel focused and Christocentric. If you wonder what this preacher is after, if you wonder what motivates the pastors of this church or the pastors of any church of the living God, it is the salvation of sinners and then the nourishment and protection of the sheep. It's, it's all of that. That's, that's all really one thing. The salvation of sinners and the nourishment and protection of the sheep. Church, we need to be evangelistic. But some people believe that being gospel-centered only means evangelistic crusades, soul-winning efforts. Seeing sinners initially saved is important. It is an important aspect of ministry. And we love to see sinners come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That is a vital work. But we can't do that work to the neglect of the feeding and protection of the flock. Imagine if a man uh, said, well, I love children, so I want to bring as many babies as I can in the world. My wife and I, we're just going to have kids 
and, and they, they take this with no thought to anything else, no concern for caring for babies or raising children. They just go about having as many babies as they can and then neglect after that. We wouldn't call that man a good father. So it is in God's kingdom. He calls sinners to himself, granting the grace of repentance and faith, making new creations. But he is also just as concerned with the care and love given in pastoral ministry for the nourishing and protection of those new babes in Christ as we grow. Let us consider the manner of Paul's ministry. We've outlined these nine things. I've said there are so many other, others that could be brought out here. Consider the integrity of the pastoral office as it is set before us here in this text. And then let us look for this type of pastoral care in the church. Let us support biblical pastoral ministry. Let us encourage it and even demand it when we need to. Let us think of the example of Paul when we're looking for a church home. When our church is searching for a pastor, let us remember the integrity of the pastoral office. When we find ourselves Christians, church members, when we find ourselves unhappy, disgruntled, dissatisfied as we look at things, let us ask, are we being selfish? Are we looking for these biblical marks of pastoral ministry? Are we seeing those things from our pastors? God, we pray that you would help us apply these things to our hearts and our minds. We pray for the protection of your church. We ask that you would appoint pastors to minister in churches. Churches close to home. Churches far off and all in between. God, we, we pray for the next men who will pastor this church. That you will prepare them and raise them up and give them hearts of a pastor. God, we thank you for the blessing of the Waco Family Baptist Church. We thank you for what you've done. Your grace and your mercy is so, so full given so freely that we could recount your blessings all day long. Lord, we're left with nothing really to ask except the continuation of them. God, we thank you. We thank you for your blessing. And we do pray that you would continue to allow us to see new Christians as you call sinners out of the world. That you'd allow us to continue to see growing Christians, maturing Christians. We pray this in Christ's name, for his kingdom's sake. Amen.